Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. All right. Well, welcome to North Main Street Church of God. I've been off a week, which means I actually have been storing up for two weeks, and today is going to be great. Thank you for um, for the privilege of being able to go and, and visit my family in Kentucky, and uh, also I heard my wife did a great job last week, and so she is actually at the women's retreat in Emlinton today, where she would be here. So uh, we have been doing a series on kindness called Kindness 24-7. How have you been doing with your kindness suggestions? We have suggestion boards throughout the facility. How are they going? Good. I am so glad that kindness is making an impact on your community through you. It's really exciting. Now, I haven't gotten hardly any testimonies, so I really don't know. There's ways to upload your testimony via video, or you can anonymously send us uh, a message saying, hey, we were given the suggestion to do this, and we did it, and wow, what an impact it not only had on the person or the people, but also on us. Please make sure uh, to send us your testimonies when you get a chance. Again, I can't force you to do that, but it's really nice to know that these things are working because kindness always makes a difference no matter where you go and what you do with it, all right? So make sure to let us know how things are going. If you keep going through kindnesses every week, there are plenty more on the boards. Take another one and uh, follow the suggestion and let us know how it goes, okay? All right, this is going to be a fun one today. Pick up your mat and walk is what we're talking about. And uh, not, don't, I mean, you could turn there now. Uh, we'll be going there in a few minutes. But John chapter 5 is where we will be going in our scripture today. Uh, but I want to talk to you specifically about um, persistence and endurance. Uh, I, came, I came across this, this newspaper article, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, a, a Korean driver passes test on 272nd try. How many of you would, would be patient enough to take your driver's test 272 times? It's like SpongeBob. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. You have to watch SpongeBob. I'm not going to go there. So this was April 15, 2005, when this news report came out by Danielle George. Listen to what she writes. A determined Seoul Sang Moon, age 69, passed the academic part of his driver's license examination on his 272nd time attempt earlier this week. Due to his illiteracy, he used the test process to teach himself the rules of the road because he could not read the manual that was given. Since the oral exam was launched, Sang Moon, a repairman, took the test as often as he could, paying about $1,000 in fees along the way. He was able to grasp the exam and the rules of the road through each failure. After the 271st attempt, he was able to get the minimum score needed to pass the academic test. Next, on Sang Moon's agenda, was preparing for the road test. Despite the amount of time it took him to pass the written test, officials were thrilled to see him pass the actual driver exam. He had been coming there, they said, for more than five years. And we regard him almost as one of the family here at the DMV in Korea. Persistence usually, persistence usually pays off. We come to a miracle story of Jesus. As we've been looking over the past month and coming into October, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus. We aren't getting every miracle because he did many miracles, but we're hitting some miracles specifically to unpack the kind acts of Jesus 
to reverse the curse of this world on people's lives. There's a man in John chapter 5. We aren't told his name, but he's sitting by this pool in Jerusalem called Bethesda. And it's a place where people thought there were magical healing qualities that if you were to get into the pool when the waters were stirred or bubbled, you could be healed. And so many loved ones brought their ill or paralyzed or sick loved ones to this pool on a regular basis to try to get healing for their bodies. Well, there's a man there sitting by the pool. We aren't told that he sat there for 38 years, but he suffered for 38 years with this illness. We aren't sure what it was. It doesn't indicate he was paralyzed, which we'll talk about in a minute. It just says the word used there is illness. He was sick, okay? He had been sick for 38 years. Some of you have been sick for a long time. Some of you for a short amount of time. You know what it's like to suffer with illness. He'd been there by this pool. They said he'd been there a long time. And so we pick up his story today in John chapter 5. Afterward, if you want to know what the afterward is there for, read ahead, because that's not what I'm preaching on today. Just go look it up. And if you're not willing to look it up, shame on you. All right? Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, which was required of all faithful Jews who lived within a certain proximity of the temple. So he returned to to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays or holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool named Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Seems like an obvious question to an obvious answer. And he responds, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Well, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Well, what happened? Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. That's a foreshadowing of things to come. It happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just picture that for a minute. I'm guessing the Jewish leaders probably would have recognized this guy if he had been coming there for any length of time. Let's just say he had been coming there for 38 years. We don't know that for a fact. We know he had been there for a long time. And the religious leaders would have been very familiar with the faces that frequented that place because it's there in Jerusalem. And so they see this guy. They know he's been sick and ill. And what are they protesting about? He's carrying his mat. That is not against the law. According to the law of Moses and God, these are tacked on things. So what happened in the Old Testament, now there are 613 laws you can pick up and look at in, uh, between Genesis, or excuse me, more specifically Exodus through Deuteronomy, uh, but what was God's specific law given to the people from the mountain? Moses usually carries them down like this, hobbling. What are they? They're the Ten Commandments. Now, you have the law, and then you have case law. I don't mean to give you a legal training here this morning, but let's just do this, okay? The Ten Commandments given directly by God, these are the things God's people were to do and to live by. Now, what happens if you have a particular case that comes up that's unique, Well, then you have to take it before the judge or the court, and they have to make a ruling. This is what we call case law. 
And so you'll see throughout the Old Testament uh, Torah, Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus through Deuteronomy, a lot of case law popped up in, in uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. What is case law? Again, those particulars where they have to bring it before the judge in the court, okay? And so you have a lot of case law pops up. You shall not murder. You remember that 10th commandment, one of those 10 commandments? You remember that? But what happens if I'm slinging an axe, the axe flies off the handle, hits somebody in the head, and kills them? Is that murder? Because I didn't intend to murder. And you see how the waters get a little muddied, right? So when we are talking about the law of God, one of the commandments says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And it has some other little instructions in there. If you read Exodus chapter 19, it'll give you the particulars on that. But it never says anything about taking up your mat and walking. It never says anything about how many steps you could walk on a particular day. Because by the time you get to Jesus, it had already been well established among many religious leaders. Well, what necessitates work? What necessitates work? Well, if you walk X number of steps in a day, how many steps do you try to walk in a day? Somebody tell me. 28,000? Uh, something's wrong with you. All right. I, uh, 28,000 is a great ambitious way to walk, and girl, more power to you. Most of us have been told 10,000 is a good start, but uh, I don't always make 10,000, as you can tell. Uh, it's more like five to 6,000, I'm ashamed to say. So what if the law said, and I don't have the Mishnah or the Talmud or any of the other ones in front of me to give you specifics, but let's just say you can walk 1,000 steps on the Sabbath, but 1,001 is breaking the law. Or <clears throat> you can carry parchment on the Sabbath, but you cannot carry your mat, which is your bed, that is considered work. So I'm just trying to give you context here. So they see this miracle, more than likely. Some of the religious leaders had undoubtedly had to know they've seen this guy by the pool of Bethesda awaiting healing. He was sickly and weak. They should, some of them had to have known this, but instead of seeing the miracle, what did they see? What many churches today see, instead of seeing the miracle, they see the legalistic side of things and they diminish the miracle for church rules. Do you know how many made-up rules churches have in our day and age? I remember years ago, and I think I said this not too long ago in a sermon, but I asked, uh, I did a survey like my first few months here uh, on a Wednesday night class, and I said, how many of you were raised, if you're above a certain age, that wearing slacks or pants as a woman was sinful, especially in the church? It's okay to raise your hands. How many of you were taught that going to the movies was sinful? Or playing cards was sinful. Dancing. You've heard me say this one. I was raised in Kentucky, Central Kentucky, Church of God, like this church. And we had a campground, much like Whitehall Camp and Conference Center, out in the middle of God's country over in the eastern part of the state where the mountainous area was. And we were not allowed to do mixed bathing. Do you even know what that means? Okay. It means boys and girls cannot go swimming together in the pool. Girls have to go one time, and the guys have to go to a separate time. Mixed bathing. That is a very old term. No mixed bathing. And, and honestly, the first time I heard that, I was kind of wigged out about it too because I'm like, you know, going to the camp. And I'm like, ew. Anyway. What is a man-made rule versus a God-made rule? 
See, this is why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm way off in the weeds. We'll get back to John chapter 5. But in Matthew 5, he says to the people in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law, but what? Which part of the law? God's or man's tacked on rules? (laughs) God's rules. Because he and the Father are one. He, the living word, fulfilled the written word perfectly. And so where the religious leaders got frustrated with him often enough was because he was breaking the rules of men. Not the rules of God, but they had gotten so blinded to what truly were the rules of God and what truly were the rules of man that they muddied the waters with holiness and righteousness. But this doesn't happen today, does it? When we began to adopt the cultural norms into the body of Christ, we began to take on a look and feel that is not often what God had desired. And sadly, in the 24 years of ministry for me, I have been guilty of doing that as a pastor in the local assemblies in Florida, in Dayton, Ohio, and even here in the early days. It wasn't until we got to the point in my time here where we just decided we need to clear the stage. And we did a series called Clear the Stage. Some of you were here, actually got angry with me on that one. But we took the choir loft out. We literally cleared the stage. We took everything that didn't necessarily need to be up here out because we wanted to just clear the stage to allow God to do what he does best. Because we built up so much stuff, tacking on all of these things we thought we needed that were going to make things better when the reality was it's not us making things better, it's the Holy Spirit when he comes that makes things exactly the way they should be. But see, we forget that often, don't we? Just like the religious leaders in Jesus' day forgot that. They missed the miracle for the breaking of man-made rules. And so they got mad at this guy who is carrying his mat. You can't work on the Sabbath. The law does not allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Think of the ridiculousness of that. He's probably carrying it under an arm. It's probably not as cumbersome as it might seem. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing as that? Who said that, they demanded. Well, the man didn't know, for Jesus disappeared into the crowd before he got his name. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, this is crazy. Listen to what he says. Now that you're well... Excuse me, now you are well, so stop sinning or something else worse might happen to you. You might read a threat into that, but I don't. I hear a warning. And the warning is this. You've been living a sinful life. You have been healed and given a second chance at life, so don't mess this up. Stop doing what you've been doing and start living a holy life. And what is the holy life we are called to live? It's a life dedicated to God, specifically through Christ Jesus. Then it says the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. I don't think he went and tattled on him. I think he was trying to find out, they were trying to find out who it was. And he's like, oh, found out who it was. It was Jesus, which just added more fuel to their fire. When you give up hope, you give up any possibility of change. Do you understand that? Let me say that again. When you lose all hope, or when you give it up specifically, you lose all possibility for change. Persistence through tough circumstances is the means by which we grow, learn, and we become stronger. Giving up is giving in to fear, defeat, loss, and it benefits us nothing at all. Even when all others may have walked away from us, Jesus is still willing to walk with us through anything if we let him. 
And here's the key point this morning. True agents of kindness press in when all others walk away. So how can we take that away from this passage today? The first thing we need to do is look at the key components that make up this miracle. The first thing Jesus asks him is what? Do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? 38 years of illness, what do you think his answer would be? What do you think his answer would be? One simple word. When you ask your kids a question, you want an answer, right? Did you make your bed? Did you take out the trash? Did you fill in the blank? In a court of law, attorneys ask you a question. It's usually a yes or no closed-ended question. Did you see such and such on November the 5th of 19-aught-something? Actually, that would have been a long time ago. It's either yes or no. But what are we prone to do? Instead of answering directly, we go around the bush, so to speak. There are two things, I think, that are happening here. And I, wanna, I want us to look at Jesus, uh, a couple of things we notice. Jesus pressing in while all the, where all others pushed by. And secondly, Jesus asking the obvious question, but with something to offer in mind. So here's the first one. Let's look at the first one. This man had been sick for 38 years. Many of those years had been seeking healing by this pool. Think about this for a minute. How many people had passed by this guy? We don't know. But if this was a place that was frequented by many people, then many people had passed him by. Many people had passed him by who I'm sure had noticed him, but they had other things on their mind because they had to get their loved one to the pool. Or maybe they were there for themselves, were able to make it into the pool. They had seen him, but were unable or, or just distracted by their own issues. What comes to mind at this point is a great commandment, which Jesus says when he's questioned by one of the religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Jews who were coming to the pool of Bethesda knew this. They knew the law of the Old Testament. They knew you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. But they also knew love your neighbor as yourself because it was written in the law and the prophets as well. And so what were they doing? This is one of the things that I think we need to take away from this passage is Jesus was willing to press in when all others were willing to pass by. How often have we been in situations where God has put us where we have had a choice to make? We could pass by or press in and instead we didn't want to get involved with somebody else's mess so we're going to pass by because I just don't have time for that today I'm guilty maybe you guys aren't but I'm guilty of that I've told you that before how many of us have done that we're too busy we're too focused on what we have to do for us or for somebody else in our family or for our boss that we aren't willing to be interrupted just for a moment even if it makes us late to do the right thing but see Jesus was willing to press in once Jesus presses toward this man he asks him a simple question but it's it's not answered in a simple way would you like to get well? I want you to re realize that there are a couple things to point out with this question, and much of it is merely speculation from Brandon. I didn't read this from scholars. This is just for me. Take it or leave it. I'm not that much of a specialist when it, with regard to these kind of things, but just hear me out. Here's what I see. I think the, these, these responses match, the, the, this question matches the nature and the character of Jesus in two ways. First, Jesus' questions are often means of testing. Okay? For instance, how often have you asked someone a question you already know the answer to? 
you want to know if they know it. Anyone? Is this thing on? Or can you hear me? How many times have you asked somebody a question you already know the answer to? As a parent, I've done that often. Did you leave the empty milk carton in the fridge? Right? Did you leave the spilled drink on the floor and not clean it up? Did you, who did not flush the toilet? And I know who it was. That thing is bombing its head and looking back at me. You get in there and flush that thing. I'm sorry if that disgusts you. I'm just seeing if you're awake. I got a reaction out of you that time. But here's the reality, right? We oftentimes ask questions knowing the answer, wanting to see if the other person truly knows the answer. So Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? To see what his answer is really going to be. But I think there's a second part of this as well. The second thing about this question from Jesus, it shows this about his character, is the simplicity, is not only the simplicity with which he asked it, but that he is a gentleman. If the guy had said no, guess what Jesus wouldn't have done? You can't make someone well who doesn't want to be well. Now, I, I, don't get me wrong. God can do anything. But I keep going back to this. In Nazareth, his hometown, it says he was unable to do miracles because of their lack of belief. If someone says no, first off, Jesus isn't going to force his way in. Secondly, there's a lack of belief there. And if there is that much of a lack of belief, then I guess I need to move on. Jesus is the interminable gentleman. The second thing we notice about this passage is someone else always gets there instead of me. That's the next phrase. So the response is what? Do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? And instead of answering, yes, he says, I can't. Can I tell you those are words I hate? I hate them. Now, I'm not saying there are literally certain things you cannot do. I cannot, dare I say it, I cannot become a woman. Genetically and biologically, my chromosomes tell me and others that I am born male. I know that's a hot topic for today, and I probably have a lot of people calling me some kind of phobe right now, but the reality is if we're looking at the science, science tells us what we are, but more importantly, Scripture tells us what we are before science ever said anything. Okay? So I don't mean that to get political, but I, I, I would be remiss if I weren't sticking true to the truth of the word, no matter what kind of heat that puts me under. But the reality is I could tell you I'm something that I'm not, but what am I truly? I, did, uh, I actually got the privilege to lead the youth on, uh, on Thursday night this week. And we were talking about identity and social media and the effects of social media on our identities. And I took one of the kids, I think it was Mark's. Was it Mark? Who's, was it yours? I took your Dr. Pepper can. And I said, what is this? And they all said, that's Dr. Pepper. I said, are you sure? When they said, yeah, it's, you know, I, yeah. I said, what if I told you that before I picked this up, it had been emptied out and was full of Mountain Dew, right? Am I showing you really, really what's on the inside if I'm wearing this mask or this facade? So you are truly what you are on the inside, how God has created you, and you cannot know your true identity apart from Christ, you can mask it, you can show other people what you are on the outside, but you may not be that at all on the inside. And you may not be living exactly what God created you to be and do. This is why Jesus says, if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you'll gain it. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? The idea behind that 
when Jesus said that is? It's about giving up everything so that you can receive what's most important. And what's most important is not only everlasting life in Christ, but true identity in Christ that brings fulfillment and abundant life. Because what does the enemy try to do? He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to bring us life and to bring us life in the full. And so this guy, instead of answering, says, I can't. I oftentimes talk to my kids and my kids talk to me through the years, and they tell me they can't do something. It's not because they can't, it's because they won't. And so I've started to distinguish that years ago. I said, is it because you can't or because you won't? What is the real, what is the truth? Is it truly because you can't or because you won't? Because certain things may be very difficult for you, but it doesn't mean you can't. Maybe you failed 271 times. And it's going to take the 272nd time to actually bring you to a place of success. Do you believe that you can? I don't believe that I can become seven feet tall because that is not my reality. But there are certain things that I believe I can do but that are just difficult. And I have one of two choices. I can push through it or I can give up. This guy had gotten to a place that he had given up. Can you live In sickness, can you live with a state of mind for so long that it becomes such a part of you that you and the enemy have convinced yourself that you can't be anything other than this? Have you lived in a way of life that is so deeply rooted in you, but you know it's not completely in alignment with what God's best is for you, that you've convinced yourself it's just never gonna change, so why even try anymore? Now, I will give it to the guy, he still kept going every day, or at least for a long time, to this pool. But here's what I know. There are sick people in the assembly of faith that go through the motions and do the church thing on a regular basis. It has become a habit for them, and yes, a good habit, but it doesn't make a difference in their lives. I see a lot of dead and dying churches full of people who have given up on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit hasn't given up on them, but they've not given him room in their assemblies anymore that he has left the building more than Elvis ever did. And so we come, we put in our time, we do our thing. We don't expect it to be different Because we believe it can't be different. And that is the greatest lie of the enemy. To keep us complacent. And and in this place of mediocrity and apathy and indifference. That we believe the lie that God, the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament. That parted seas. Who raised the dead who healed the sick and the lame and diseased and the blind and the deaf. Oh, that was for then. It's obviously not for now. And so we sit by the pool of miracles. But then the man of miracles comes along. And we don't recognize him when he dies. Because we're still waiting on something that's out here when he's been standing beside us all along. I can't, he says, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirs up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. There's a couple things I want to point out really quickly with this. We aren't told that he did not do this, but he never said he did, so we assume possibly he did not, and that is this. Had he ever called out to anybody in the crowd? Hey, could you, can you help me? How many of us have missed out on blessings because we've refused to ask for help? 
Our pride maybe has gotten in the way. If I ask for help, I'm inconveniencing somebody else. See, we, th- we try to soften it, make, make it look like we're just inconveniencing somebody else when the reality is we don't want to look embarrassed. We don't want to look like we can't do something on our own. We've been, we bought into this lie. We can be self-sufficient. And we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's the way our culture is. And instead of asking for help, we sit idly by and then we complain when we don't get it. What is this guy doing? I can't. I can't get well. I mean, I have no one to put me in. Well, have you asked? (laughs) Jesus didn't ask him that. But that would have been one of my questions. Have you asked anybody? I mean, doesn't hurt, right? Well, think about this. We know he was lying. The, 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 again, the word in Greek for sickness is actually can mean weak, weakness or disease. I have to ask myself this question, and, and maybe you should too, is did he, did he get there on his own? How did he get to the porticos or the porches around the pool? He may have gotten there weakly, not not W-E-E-K, but W-E-A-K, right? He might have slowly gotten his way there. But I'm going to guess maybe he had some help getting there. There were were people in the day, and there are still people today, who take beggars to street corners and other places and drop them off. Okay? I'm not saying this guy was a beggar, but the reality is he'd gone there frequently for a long time. He had gotten so close to this pool. I mean, he is within feet from the pool, and I quite honestly think it's a lame excuse. (laughs) I don't mean to be hateful or mean, I've never been in the guy's situation. But if somebody brought him there, why didn't they take him all the way? And if he got there on his own, why didn't he reach out and ask somebody for help? Again, maybe he did. We aren't told either way. But secondly, here's another thing. Jesus comes on the scene. He's one who's willing to help. Why didn't he say, yes, I want to be healed, will you help me? Let's just say all of that other stuff never happened or it did happen. Regardless, Jesus is now standing in front of him. He's giving him audience. He's asking him the question that I'm sure he wanted somebody to even notice that he was there. Why didn't he say to Jesus, yes, will you help me? Again, I think it goes back to this idea that when you become so used to your illness, it becomes your identity. It becomes your identity. And rather than letting it identify you, you should find your identity in Christ. Fanny Crosby, I did an illustration of her several weeks back. But Fanny Crosby, one of the most famous hymn writers of, of, the, of, our, of our time, she wrote thousands of hymns, many of them well known by many of you. When she was just a child, she was stricken blind by a medication that was put on her eyes. Do you know when she was asked if she, if she could have it to do over again, if she'd have her sight back? She said no. Because her sight or the lack thereof didn't define her. It was her God that defined her. And so she relished all the more in that weakness because it was through that weakness he was made strong. She didn't allow it to define her. She defined it because her definition of who she was was in Christ alone. This guy had allowed his illness to define him, his inadequacy to define him. And instead of doing something about it or going to the one who could... All those years, it had just become a part of who he was. Now, Jesus says, without saying, well, okay, sorry about your luck. (laughs) He could have done that. He didn't pass the test, right? 
He could have just walked on and said, well, I hope somebody comes around to help you out, buddy. He doesn't. <clears throat> he has pity on this guy, and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's break those down. Stand up. It's the first thing the man must do is stand up. Stand up. If he refuses to do that, then he will not get well. One of the hardest things to do is to make the first move in a direction different than we've been used to for so long. This is the same way about salvation. There are a lot of people that say, that I've mentioned and talked to, who said, I don't know if I give my life up for Christ, then that means I can't go do X, Y, or Z anymore. And my friends are going to really reject me. Well, what's more important to you? To gain the whole world and lose your soul? You tell me. I know it's not an easy decision, but it is a life or death decision. When Jesus calls us to move, the first direction is up. Secondly, he says, pick up. The second thing Jesus tells a man to do is akin to work. Okay? Because what do the religious leaders say he's doing? <laughs> you aren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. Remember? Stand up and get to work. Get to work. According to the strict regulations of the Jewish leaders, he was breaking the law. Now, Jesus wasn't telling the man to violate the law. What he was doing, however, was telling the man not to live there in this place of illness anymore. Move away from it. Get to work. Don't set up shop or residence in a place of sickness and disease anymore, mentally, physically, or otherwise. It doesn't mean that you're pretending that you don't have this. What it does mean is that you're living for Christ rather than for yourself anymore. Come what may, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk in my direction. That's when the healing comes. Walk is the last one here. The last part of Jesus' command is crucial. Walk. Did you know the word that is used here for walk can also mean live? I love the Greek language and the Hebrew language because it gives us a depth of expression that otherwise we may not see on the page. It's in essence as if Jesus is not only telling him to walk physically, but now get up and live your life. Get up and live! Don't sit here like a dead man anymore. This disease, this sickness does not define you. I define you. Now walk in me and live and see and taste that I am good. In spite of everything else, the man did what Jesus had commanded, and as a result, he was healed, and he had a start to a new life after 38 years. How many of you are willing to wait that long? How sad that way too many people are content to live sick, diseased, and weakened by this life, and they miss the blessing of God through Christ. I'm going to call our worship team forward to close this out, but as I call them forward, I want to close with this illustration. Bob Perks tells the story of a man who essentially had given up on God. He writes... I give up, the man shouted. I can't take it anymore. There's nothing left for me. Everyone around him kept on about their business. Some made it a point to get away from this guy. He's crazy, one man said quietly as he nervously rushed toward the door. The man sat down quickly, still taunted by whatever caused the outburst. He looked down, placing his head in his hands. I give up, he said again. A young boy standing nearby seemed unaffected by this guy's ranting, and while others kept their distance, he actually stood his ground and looked intently at this guy. And he called out to him, Sir, sir! So wrapped up in his anguish, the man never heard this little boy calling out to him. Determined to speak to him, however, the little boy walked closer and closer. Sir, I know what's wrong, he said. Please, sir. 
The man still slumped forward in his seat and rocked slowly back and forth, but still he didn't respond to the little boy. Finally, the young boy walked up, placed his small hand on the stranger's shoulder. It startled him, and he picked up his head to see who was there. The boy was taken at first glance by his appearance. His red eyes, his unshaven face, his hair that looked like it hadn't been washed for days. It would cause most people to cautiously avoid the guy, as most people had. But this young man wasn't just anyone. Sir, please listen. I know what's wrong. What? How could you know what's wrong with me? You're just a child. You, you can't even begin to know what's wrong. Sir, you said I give up. Yeah, so? He said, my mom said that I should never give up. Whenever I feel like I want to give up, I just need to look up, and God's hand will be there to lift me up. At that, the man's head fell back into his hands, and he began to weep. The young boy never left his side, hand on his shoulder. Slowly, the man lifted his head to find the young boy right there with his other hand outstretched. The man's hands shook nervously as he reached out toward the boy. And at the very moment their hands touched, the man said, Thank you, dear God. You do love me. He raised his head, and with a smile he said, In my frustration, I have been angry with God. I thought he never heard my prayers, and that all morning I I just prayed to him with no results, and finally I asked God for a sign. I told him that I couldn't handle the weight of all of my burdens anymore, and I begged him to give me a hand. Looking at the young boy, he said, I never expected that they would be so small because he sent me yours. Don't give up. Look up, the boy said. The question is, why is it that when we are unhappy, we count all the little things that go wrong? But when we need help, we expect God to bring big things that happen. Have you been sitting in a pool of promise awaiting a miracle for so long that you don't think it'll ever change? Are you merely going through the motions because that's all you know to do at this point? Has brokenness and sorrow become your companions through the dark valley to which you found yourself? Though God may seem distant, though he may seem too far away to hear your cries for help, the truth is he's only a breath away, asking if you want to be well and willing to answer with a resounding yes. And though your miracle may not be what you expect, he calls you to pick up your mat, whatever that is, and to walk, but not randomly, but to walk toward him. Some of you do have physical ailments. Some of you have mental ailments. Some of you have emotional issues that stem back from childhood or teenage years, a traumatic divorce, a death. Some of you are angry at God, shaking your fist at heaven, crying out for help. And it's been there all along, but it didn't come in the form or the fashion you had expected or hoped. And so you've missed it. Do you want to get well? Your answer should be yes. (laughs) What, What should seem obvious isn't always obvious to us. Until we're in front of a holy God who loves us. And says... I'm willing to do for you what no one else can. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
Our altars are always open. My right, your left is where people will come and pray over you. If you need prayer for healing, for hope, for health, for broken relationship, if you need deliverance from anything, you come to my right, your left, there will be prayer warriors here to help pray with you. If you want to be left alone and you want to come forward and pray, come to my left, your right, people will not bother you here. You, you spend time alone with the Father, pray the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to change and transform you. The choice is yours. Nobody will force you to do that, not even God himself. What do you want? Let's pray. Lord, in this place, there are men and women, young men and women. You know every single situation of their life. You know emotional hurts, mental illness, you know physical illness. And you are Lord over those things. We ask and pray for miracles today from the only miracle worker who can truly transform lives, which is you. Let us not go through the motions, Father. As the body of Christ, as individuals, let us stand in boldness and confidence with a belief, God, that can move mountains. Not in and of our own strength, but through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.